a doctor in the house? Hey, it's Dr. Lisa, and it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. I really do give a shit. You know that? I give a shit about this festival that I'm planning. We're going to have a fundraiser. I just found out yesterday. I organized it. So uh, tune in. It's going to be July 7th, 7 to 9, out here in Bushwick. It's going to be called the Selfie Help Festival. So I want you to know that, and I want to thank you for listening. And uh, I'm this is going to be, like, so crazy what's going on here today. Okay, so I'm just going to tell you. Uh, I have two people in the studio. Uh, I don't even know how to explain who these people are. Okay, I'm going to get through this really quickly. I'm going to try and make this really concise so I don't lose you right in the beginning. So the, there's two people. There's one. Uh, they're both very attractive, male, female, um, you know, but they're going to be busy on the radio, so don't even think about anything like that. I will, though. Uh, I'll take pictures. You can do whatever you want with them. So anyway, um, I have uh, a lovely gentleman, Christian Nydek. I should know how to pronounce your name. What's your name? Needin. Needin. How, how, what am I doing? That's because I only call you Christian. Uh, Christian and I are um, friends, but more than friends, we're both very involved in art and writing and the whole, like, community, Bushwick community and beyond that. And uh, Christian is somebody who's um, got a real talent for, like, organizing and curating other talent besides his own talents of writing and everything else. And uh, does that sound accurate? You're going to go with that? Most definitely. Okay, good. And so when Christian and I were talking about, like, he's got to be on my radio show, he was like, as usual, did his curating thing. And he brought in somebody who is, like, uh, impossible for me to describe. But I'm going to describe her in a way that I can describe her. So um, her name is, is, is Lilith. Marcus Lilith. Lilith. Rise with Delete. Lilith Marcus. Uh, we just met ten minutes ago, though I've been reading about her. And um the thing that I so Christian told me a lot, like Christian wrote me the longest private message I've ever received on Facebook <laughs> in his attempt to describe her, and then I tried to like do my own research and then Christian and I actually had a meeting about it and the whole thing. And um I just want to express my extreme anger that there is no wiki page on this person oh i never thought about that that's right why not that i've checked but there isn't no i checked i'm telling you there really should be so i'm just gonna like this is how i described it on my facebook post okay mostly she's a travel editor digital yes at Condé nast talk a little closer to the mic please um which is like her her biggest her biggest thing um, right now, you know, so she's got this plum job where she gets, where her job, it's not that she's getting paid, it's just like, getting paid is only part of it. It's her job where she is uh, just traveling around the world and uh, having the most interesting, interesting time and then writing. Like, we're all jealous. We're all, who wouldn't be? You want, oh, except some asshole who's probably listening going like, Fuck, I wouldn't want to have to get off my couch to go do some work, uh, go anywhere. And then she also wrote this book, Save the Assistance, A Guide for Surviving and Thriving in the Workplace, which I think, if I read correctly, Lalit, rhymes with delete. See, it works every time. It does. It's good. Thank you. Uh, Lalit uh, 
you wrote this, I'm assuming, in the beginning of your career when you were assistant to some douchehead. Correct. Okay, good. Uh, so that's a completely different thing, although, you know, it involves writing, but it's not nothing to do with travel writing. So that's weird. And then she's a child of deaf parents. Is that true, too? That is correct. Do you know Cambry Cruz? I do, yeah. Oh, are you guys friends? Yeah, I know her. Um, I've been to her place in Queens. Yeah, yeah, yes, Cambry. Um, and then she also has a, uh, Cambry's awesome. I've, she, she, she's, she's in my archives, but I've tried to, she was in my BAM project. I did a big interview with her there. You could find it on the BAM website if you're interested in hearing about her amazing life. Um, and uh, she is also, Lilith is also known for having strong views about um, remaining child-free. That is also true. Uh, now, that strikes a deep chord with me. Yeah. A woman after my own heart. Yeah. <laughs> so I am really, but you're really young. How? I mean, especially compared to me, how old are you, Lily? Um, I'm old enough that I don't think I can be called young. Okay, so 30s. Yeah. Okay. But young enough to still be contemplative. I mean, you're fertile. No, you get I your mean, period? I, I guess ostensibly. I think I ovulate sand at this point. <laughs> Come on. Well, why would you why would you not be getting your period or any of that? Like what? You don't want to have kids, but you're just as fertile as everybody else. I mean, at I your guess age. I've never actually don't found be in denial out. about not your ability to have a baby. That could be very dangerous. Here's the thing, though. Like, I've just never bothered to find out if I can or can't. Like when you don't want to, you don't really think about the logistics of it. OK, hmm. but you are you hetero? Yeah, usually. OK. And do you have sex? Not for a while, no. Oh, you're pretty celibate then? Uh, not voluntarily, no. Is that because of the traveling? Yeah, uh, travel makes it really, really hard to date when you have my job. So, but are you meeting? Like, do you get asked out? I mean, I would guess. Or are guys afraid? Guys are a little afraid of you. It's true, aren't they? Do you think they? so? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I can't imagine anyone being afraid of me. Like, I don't, I've met dogs bigger than me, like this morning. No, 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 no. So let's go back to Christian, because I love Christian. He's laughing. I just want to make sure Christian's part of this, because he's, he's got, you know, he's got it going on. So oh, tell me a little bit about uh, your, re- first of all, you know what, I want to ask you, Christian. So yes. how long did you guys, you guys knew each other from working at Hebe Magazine, right? No. That was that was my mistake. I misremembered this. This is actually really interesting, that I knew I was working for a place called The Jewish Channel, which was mm-hmm. a Jewish television station it at the time. It literally is a Jewish channel. And my name literally is Christian, so mm-hmm. it got even weirder. And we, around 2009, I want to say, we started doing a weekly news broadcast. And one of the first stories, I think, early, very early on, I interviewed Lilith when she was part of Juicy, mm-hmm. which was uh, another, I believe, Oh, yeah, Jewish I remember that. Humor culture yeah, no, site. it's still around. Is um, it still it's around? owned by Tablet now, mm-hmm. uh, but at the time it was independent. And I'm actually wearing a shirt that Lalit gave me that day, right for, now, here in studio. For the Jews listening to this, it has a shin on it. Yes. I don't even That's know what the, that is. It's the thing that looks like a W, if you've seen oh. Hebrew writing. Oh, before. I know what you mean. Yeah, well, we'll get the pictures. We'll get the pictures you can see. And I mean, the... It means a lot. I've had I've had the shirt for seven years now. Aww. So. And I, I'm more than happy to, to play hype man to Lalit, because from the first time I interviewed her, uh, she's... Uh, she was very uh, thoughtful, articulate. Um, had... So you met her interviewing her for 
for for for the Jew channel. We had uh, there was a roundtable show called The Editors where they would uh-huh. kind of get editors of different Jewish publications mm-hmm. across the spectrum, and we would just sort of talk. It was like The View, but really boring. So what was Christian? <laughs> what was true. your job? What was your job on it? I was a cameraman. Oh, <laughs> so I uh, yeah, but I've but one of the things I would I would do would uh, I think. We might. I think I might have talked to Leet as part of like a field intro piece or something. Now at this uh. point, but Leet was actually our first two-time guest on that show, oh. and she was also uh, a two-time guest on another show we did. It was a women's roundtable show yes. called The Salon. Yeah, that's the one that Rachel Sklar hosted. That is. Yes. Oh, Rachel Sklar. I kind of know her. I think. So yeah. so okay. So you guys. Uh, so met professionally. And that, that's, no, but did you hang out after that? Or yeah. I mean, because that's not enough to like actually make a friendship out of, right? The first, the first time, yeah, we we would talk before and after the shows were very, uh, very friendly. And one of the things I think I became Facebook friends with Elite, and mm-hmm. one of the things I went to was. I believe a dinner at Trafe in Williamsburg. Yeah. So ah. I used to live in Williamsburg. Uh, Christian lives in Williamsburg. And I wanted to organize a Hanukkah party, but I really didn't want to do the work and mm-hmm. have people over to my house and cook. And mm-hmm. So there's I this great it. restaurant called Trafe, which right. I love because the name means not kosher in right. Hebrew. And all the food they serve is like pork and shellfish. And right, right, right. So I thought, what better than to throw a giant Hanukkah party at Trafe and course. invite a bunch of my friends? So and, I did, and it was really cool for me because it was it was a mix of Jews, non-Jews, uh, fitting at a place called Trafe, um, in the heart of this neighborhood where there's a lot of uh, Hasidic Jews. And for me at the time, and still through my seven years at the Jewish Channel, it was kind of um, this seven immersed, years. Wow, seven years, and I learned a lot about Jewish about Judaism of all of all stripes without actually being Jewish. And um, it was really interesting to have, you know, out of that, I have I have friends still that I met um, through the channel. That, you look uh, like you could be Jewish. Do people did people mistake well, you for being? Well, usually once his name came out, yeah. it was really yeah, that's quick. true. But he could sort of fit in, though. I My guess. grandfather is full blooded Ashkenazi. Oh yeah, we had that yeah. discussion. Cool. So is mine. Yeah. So you guys sort of like, you know, wound up like probably like. <laughs> Hanging out in the same circles and things like that too. Or? Most definitely, yeah. And she yeah. and and also Elite uh, also did me a solid uh, when I was just looking to do a, a freelance article. One of the great talents that she has um, is that she's a, a fantastic. She's almost like a freelance article ninja. She knows how to really find the places to get her work out. And so I saw that was looking for a place to publish a uh, article about. A friend of mine uh, who was a reality game show game designer. He would mm. he would design challenges and he had wow. associates that. And she turned uh, she in turn helped me find an associate and good friend of hers who's now a friend of mine, Natalie Zutter, um, who was running uh, uh, a part of uh, Crushable, I believe, at the time. Oh, yeah, cool. it's a pop culture site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was one of Lalit's uh, stops when she was over. I believe you were at the Gloss at that yes, time. Yes, which was at the time owned by the same people, but the site has since been shut so down. So you guys have like really oh, networked your careers a bit here. Yeah. yeah. I guess for me, I don't necessarily think of it as networking. In situations like this, it feels really seamless when it's somebody you already know and you just have a good idea yeah, for somebody. Yeah, I was, I was using, oh, yeah, cynically. I'm being cynical. <laughs> Well, whatever. Yeah, but, that would. Yeah, but it seems to. It's kind of like kismet in that Look, way. Look, if, if you can't have way. friends that can further your career, why be friends with them? See what I'm saying? That's my point of view. That's why I hang out with you. <laughs> um. So, um, you. So, Christian, I want to ask you this. Sure. So, like, you have seen Lilith out socially. Yes. Right. She is. 
a very she presents and I'm not, I don't know her but she presents as a very uh, dynamic uh extremely intelligent um open person right Absolutely. and and and, and a very attractive I think yes. right right yes so very do you so. think that guys are like straight guys might be afraid of her not at all not you don't at all. think so? And I've, I've met some of those guys. So it's, it's, I don't think so at all. I think, you know, especially being in New York, I think it's been tough because I go through this the, in the opposite way. It's, it's tough to, um, I guess you, you use the word networking before. And especially uh-huh. when you, I think job, your professional life definitely plays a part in, in the circles that you run in. Absolutely. And so one of the cool things, I'll give you an example of something that, that, one of the cool things I like about Elite and, and, and her friends is they like doing uh, this. This One of the pictures that I sent out to promote this very event was a picture that we took at Sunshine Cinema. Right. To watch a midnight screening of The Room. Now, if people don't know The Room. It's the greatest it's, film ever made. Yeah, I kind of want to see that. Oh, Lisa, you have to. You have to come with yeah, us. Yeah, well, okay. Are you guys going to see it? It's yeah. the first weekend of every month, Friday and Saturday at midnight. Oh, oh my God! I can't wait. Yeah, you, you go, go every, every year. You go every. We don't go every month, but that's when they have it, so we can pop in whenever we want. Oh, yeah, it's pretty great. Sign me up, Phil. My husband Phil won't see it. You know, really? Yeah, because you know it's upsetting or something. I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't Did, want to be brought down. It's too much. Oh, it's, but no, it's phenomenal. Like. It makes you feel so happy at the end. Oh, really? Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I can tell him that it's a it's an important communal experience. Well, he Absolutely. loves Christians, so if I say I Christians going, this, then this, then we'll go. My go. point, my point for bringing it up though is that I think people who go to see the room, it's an important bellwether of your your sense of humor. Right. Absolutely, and I think it's something that's similar to people who enjoy, say, Spinal Tap. Mm-hmm. Right. In that in that sense, and. Mm-hmm. It, the communal aspect is really great too because it's something where people you just it's one of those things where you kind of just get it you know you go there and people recite lines or they're th- tossing a football around in the in the theater or, th- or oh, oh you mean the like screen. the Rocky Horror well, Picture Show well one thing that's different is that you're supposed to change it up every time so with Rocky Horror oh. it's like you, you wear costumes and it's very much oh. like winking. But with the room, there might be certain things everybody yells every time. But you're really encouraged to like try and say something funny that nobody has ever said before. Oh, and you if really you do, sold like, you me. win. Oh, yeah. really? really? Oh, should, I can't Lisa. wait to go. I'll probably wind up, up go, having to go again. That's so, that's that's one side of it. That's one side of the idea of like finding people who have your sense of humor who, right, who are like right, do right, stuff when you're right, off the clock. Right. Getting back to the Jewish side, though, this is something I'd 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 ask lead about when i was working at the jewish channel it would there would be times where you know i'd approach i'd approach a lady uh of the jewish persuasion usually if they're Mm -hmm. and the more um orthodox they were the bigger the deal breaker of whether or not you were jewish was Uh, a big was a thing now i had the luxury as kind of a tourist in that world of who i wanted to date i don't i I don't think you'd would you say you're encumbered by that it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to are you always no, looking for Jewish? I, I would say that honestly, being child free means that I can't be as choosy about that particular aspect of it. I find that more of the Jewish men I've dated wanted children than didn't, and that became a big sticking mm. point for them. Mm. Uh, so, since that's not something that I'm ever interested in doing, it is less important to me that someone is of the same background as me. But, but I mean, are you from the kind of background that if that was an issue, you would be like, I didn't know. My parents are interfaith. 
Oh, yeah. Um, it's never been a big yeah, problem. I've never given a shit. I've, frankly, I have dated a lot of Jewish guys just because that's who I've run into. But, yeah, my husband's a goy. Yeah. No, my parents actually, I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, my parents are interfaith. And my mom's side is Christian. My dad's side is Jewish. But I think had other relatives on my father's side of the family not married someone Jewish, it would have been a very big deal. And I think that because my parents are deaf, there was a certain worry that they would never meet someone. There was a belief like, oh, our poor deaf children, what are they going to do? And because they found each other, everybody said, okay, great, do whatever you want. And in a way, they were really liberated from that kind of Uh, requirement. uh, So, um, were... So, okay, so they were, they weren't from deaf families. No. Okay. And uh, what I wanted to ask you, though, was um, why are you so adamant against having children? I I don't know if I would even say I'm adamant anymore. It's just such a part of who I am that I'm just blasé about it now. I think Mm -hmm. when I was younger, when I kind of figured out, oh, my God, there's a word for people like me and there's a movement and and I'm not alone in the woods here. I think that was when I got really militant about it. And I was like, breeders, no way, man. But I think I've evolved beyond that, just that, like, it's not something that I want to do, but it's such a small part of my life at this point. I almost Mm -hmm. forget about it. But it must have struck a chord with you at some point. Was it that you feel like women are encumbered by it or what was it? I don't know if encumbered is the word that I would use, but it's another one of the expectations that our society pushes on women that Mm -hmm. no matter what decision they make, it's wrong. Right. Did you feel like your parents really wanted you to have kids? I do. My parents are very traditional. Uh, Mm -hmm. My mom was a stay-at-home mom and she loved it. But Mm -hmm. I think they understand, and I've talked about it with them, and a lot of people assume that if you don't want children, it's because you had a really fucked up childhood and something really bad happened to you. Right. And that's not the case for me at all. I think I'm just wired this way. Mm -hmm. And being Mm -hmm. able to explain that to my parents and make sure that they understood that it's nothing to do with them really helped them to understand that it wasn't personal in that way. So how was um, growing up with deaf parents? What what did your parents do? Uh, My dad was a computer programmer, and Mm -hmm. my mom was a stay-at-home mom. So it, so they're being deaf. Did that really affect them too much? Or it sounds like they had it's I mean, it sounds like you had a you, pretty happy childhood. That's what I'm getting. Yeah, I do you have brothers and sisters. I have a younger sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're about two and a half years apart. Mm-hmm. And were your parents born deaf, both of them? Or Yeah, it's a little complicated. Uh, my dad was born deaf, and my mom became deaf very shortly after birth. Uh, she oh, was okay. severely premature uh, in okay. the 1950s in a small North mm-hmm. Carolina hospital. Right. Mm. And they thought she was going to die. They gave her an experimental medicine. It saved her life. It killed her hearing. Right. So they have somewhat similar, you know, they come together in a similar way. Yeah. I mean, I should mention that most deaf people don't come from deaf families. It's not usually genetic. Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So, I guess. yeah. And most deaf people are likely to have hearing children. So it is something that they think about. There's a whole school of thought about, you mm-hmm. know, how best to raise your kid. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty common thing. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, um, I mean, being deaf, of course, is a challenge or it's probably, there's probably a lot of great things about it as well. But um, it sounds like you had a fairly normal childhood in, in spite of that your parents had an unusual quality. Yeah, in in some ways it felt like the most normal thing in the world, and then every once in a while I would sort of look around and realize we were the only people like us. Uh, I grew up in the South. I'm from North Carolina. And occasionally people would stop and ask me if my family was Italian. (laughs) Why? (laughs) And I was like, oh, you think that we're just like 
making hand gestures like Italian people you saw ah, on TV. Yeah, that's this, so funny. They had this stereotype of Italian people as like waving uh, their hands around while they talk. Oh, that's hilarious. I was like, no, no, what are you talking about? They're just deaf. Like, those are signs. Right, right, right. So you're really good at all that signing and all that stuff. It's my first language, I hope so. Right, and that's probably made you really flexible at learning other languages, right? I think so. I mean, my sister would argue... You know a lot of languages, is that right? Did I read I know a few, but my sister would say totally not, and we have the same parents, Mm -hmm. and yet she's awful at languages, and I'm good at them, so Mm -hmm. who knows how much of it is nature and nature, Right, 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 right. Sorry to out my sister like that. (laughs) (laughs) Is that something also, I was curious, like when you're abroad traveling... It's it's known as American Sign Language. Yes. Are there other dialects across the spectrum? They're not dialects. They're other languages. Uh, British Sign Language is completely different. I can't understand a word of it. It uses wow, a totally different alphabet. Wow, that's so interesting. Alphabet. Yeah, so American Sign Language is the most close to French Sign Language. Um, that's interesting because American Sign Language, as I understand it, what my exposure to it, it seems very... Um, you know, uh, expressive. Like, I feel like when I'm watching people doing it, I sort of get what they mean without saying it. Well, keep it's in like mind dancing, also, it really. is, but I also, like, keep in mind that every sign language comes from the visual context of the community that it grows up in. Right. So if you oh. ask a kid in America to draw a picture of a flower, they're going to draw right. a different picture than a right. kid from another country. Right. So it's about the flowers you see. And I and I try to picture it that way. Like, it looks familiar to you because visually it's supposed to look similar. Right, right, right. So anyway, Lilith, Lilith. See, look at that. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Thanks for that tip. Um, I'm so I'm wondering, like, okay, so to me, you're like this ridiculous overachiever, just just ridiculous. Can you tell you're my ob- mom that you're obviously very, very bright and talented and really good writer and all that. I mean, there's no question about that. But you've also created so much stuff and made so much happen. Stuff that you've done on your own, like, you know, writing a book and and that kind of stuff. So what I'm so here's what's what I find so fascinating about you is that um, the accomplishments that you've had in your life are fairly diverse, right? Yes. But there must be a common thread about you in them. And I'm also wondering um, why if. And why you're so driven. I think you're driven. I'm going to say that. What do you think, Christian? Do you think that uh, Lilith is driven? What's your point? What's your take on it? I think she's hardworking. I think that's something that definitely I've connected with her on on that side is is that she um, goes through her day making sure to take care of the commitments that she's made. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's deceptively simple statement because not everybody... Does that, um, especially, like I said before, the, an interesting thing about Lalit is that she's taken this approach, which is terrifying to me, which is this freelancer's approach of of uh, articles. Uh, a big chunk of her career, I, I would say, is is basically coming up with with stuff to do. Uh, so submit. you have to pitch most of that stuff. I do, yeah. Even at my job, even though I'm on staff now. I mean, I was a full-time freelance travel writer for about five years before I took this job. Mm -hmm. But you have to be in that mindset all the time. Even when you're in a newsroom, you don't necessarily get handed assignments. It's, you know, people have beats and you have stuff that you're good at, but there's a lot of, oh, well, I really want to cover this and I'm Mm going to tell you why. And here's why you should pay for me to go here. Definition of a self-starter. Yeah. So your success is really, it's not, yeah, it's really dependent on on your own motivation. This is what I'm saying, I mean, and um, and not to uh, to take a, take 
I mean, people should know that there's a lot of passion behind that. It's not like you're just driven. I mean, yeah, uh, right? I don't, I don't yeah. think driven is a bad term at all. I'm I'm really excited to be called driven. Right. But I mean, it's something you really enjoy and feel strongly about. So yeah, it's not like you're like, you know, trying to get ahead or get to be the top of the heap or something like, you know, it's not the... just a goal, uh, just a goal for the sake of getting ahead. Right. But I mean, I do want to be the best at what I do. Yes. And we want you to do that, too. <laughs> so, Christian, what would you imagine? Uh, how how do you think Lilith would be described at, at work? Like, what do you think? Like, Well, I can tell you just from personal experience when we booked her at the Jewish Channel, one of the things that we really valued about her was um, she was kind of almost like a ringer when it came to having to fill a chair because she could talk about anything. She had mm-hmm. a diversity of interests. Mm-hmm. Um, now again, that was a ne- that was a relatively narrow focus of the Jewish world, mm-hmm. but but even within that, but even I remember that. one week mm-hmm. I came in and there was a Jewish candidate for Miss America. Then we switched into talking about Israeli politics. Then we talked about Israeli athletes in the mm-hmm. World Cup. I mean, there was a ton of stuff and. Jewish may seem quite narrow, but within that, you can kind of go all over the place. So, and, the, and the other thing in that, sorry to, sorry to mm-hmm. interrupt, is that her statements would not necess- would never be stock. She had an opinion on right. those, and that okay. is really important for what we needed. And that's something that, that again, it's somebody who's well-read, someone who engages with the world. Um, one other thing, too, is that I believe uh, you had a, you've had, and maybe still do, have an ongoing relationship with The Forward and, yeah. and submitting stuff there. And I know that the, the editorial staff at The Forward really values having not necessarily a hot take, but, you know, a definitive opinion for, for their editorials that they that they shop for. And the fact that Lilith's had multiples of those is, mm-hmm. is an achievement. So what do you think, Christian, is the, I mean, we were going through that. There's quite an array of achievements. So what do you think the common thread is? What would you imagine? Can you say? Actually, can I? Can yes, I? Yes, please. Go, go ahead. So I was thinking about this recently when Christian sort of brought up coming on the show. It felt like being on This Is Your Life, um, which is exciting. <laughs> oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> so I was thinking about it. And I've been hanging out recently with an, an author I really admire who's also a CODA. That's what we're called. Yeah, Children right. of I, Deaf Adults. Yeah, I know yeah. that from Cambry, right. Yeah. So he pointed out that we're both generalists and we're both interested in everything. And he thinks that it has a lot to do with when you're the older or oldest kid in a deaf family, you're always the interpreter and you're always an adult. So even when I was seven years old, I sat at the adults table at Thanksgiving translating Uh, for all of my relatives while my sister got to run around and play with the other kids. Oh, interesting. And so I think being exposed to a really wide variety of adult conversations that maybe I wasn't even old enough to understand or parse apart or say, Ah. who are these politicians you're talking about and what do they think? But it really got me interested in and exposed to a lot of topics really early on. And I think that made me kind of a generalist. Huh, that's interesting. And also the problem, what happened, I'm sure, is that your opinion was valuable like all the other adults. So you're confident in recognizing your opinion and putting it out there, I think. Yeah, I think I had to learn to make the case for myself because I would often be the youngest person at the table. So I knew that if I wanted somebody to take me seriously, I had to back up everything. I had to have evidence for what I was going to say. And obviously that suited me well as a journalist. Mm -hmm. That's my job. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. You seem like you would have been like an A student in school. Is that right? Uh, Only in the humanities. You should have seen my chemistry homework. And then what happened there? Did you work hard or you you just aren't talented at it or? did you not try or what happened there if you asked all of my teachers from elementary school they would all tell you that if i'm not interested in something i won't do it 
Mm. Uh, that was the feedback I got pretty regularly. So, yeah, I didn't really care about algebra, so I just didn't. Same it. here. Yeah. Same here. I felt the same way. If, I, if the I was always, there. I didn't do well, but I was, I felt bad about it. That's how I was brought up. That was my motivation. Oh, that was my parents' I mean, motivation. People made me feel bad about it, but did you I, get my in, heart wasn't in it. Did you get in trouble or your, what did you, were your parents like always thinking that you were doing great or? No, I mean, they knew, um. It's hard to explain the weirdness of translating your own parent-teacher conference. Uh, oh, really... weird. Oh, so you were there. <laughs> uh, legally, according to the law, you are mm-hmm. supposed to always have an interpreter for stuff like that in anything public. So that includes public school, but that doesn't mean that everyone does it or that they right. have the money to do it. Right, so exactly. Sometimes weird scenarios happen. Oh, weird. That yeah. is weird. Because um, you got to lie, but you have to lie in a way that matches their face and body expressions, which is really hard to do. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Did you d- did you lie? I tried, but like they still get a report card at the end oh, of it. So that's hilarious. Really, yeah, that's it was great. It's just not worth it, honestly. That's great. Where did you go to college? I went to UNC Greensboro in mm-hmm. North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, um, so that sounds like um, a really that sounds like that would give you a lot of confidence. You know, being in the, uh, you know, having to, you know, being in charge of a lot. Your parents gave you a lot of responsibility. Yeah, I don't know if I would say they gave it to me, to be honest. I think there were times that my parents were really frustrated. And I've seen this a lot in the deaf community where I think a lot of deaf people would prefer to advocate for themselves and prefer to do things on their own. But for whatever reason they can't because of language barriers or lack of an interpreter. So they get really infantilized in a lot of ways, especially by like doctors and social workers and people in the legal profession. It can be very hard to push against that. And a lot of deaf people find themselves so frustrated because they're perfectly capable of telling you how they feel and what they want. They just don't have the same language as you to do it. Right, right, right. I could see that. So did you go through a rebellious phase ever? I mean, who didn't? Yeah, totally. When when was that? Can you picture that, Christian? I I think I can. I think I can. You know, it's it's may might just be rebellious. The the very act of leaving North Carolina. I I can imagine just the idea of you know after spending your youth there, then going to college there. Uh, now leaving that leaving that that I'm not going to necessarily say bubble, but that area to go small town. Yeah, small town. Yeah, that was probably rebellious. That probably took balls. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't very common where I'm from. A lot of people after college would move to New York for maybe two years, and then mm-hmm. they would come home and get married. Uh, mm-hmm. there, so there was this idea that you moved to New York for a while. Mm-hmm. I've never had more guests come to visit me in New York than oh, I did really? the That's first funny. two years that I lived here, because I think there was this implicit understanding that at the end of that, I would get my get it out of my system and move home, mm. and then I didn't. So um, that's pretty. that's pretty funny. So, yeah, I guess that would that would what well, must have been hard to leave your parents, though, was it? I mean, were you worried about them? How, who interprets for them now? You know, honestly, technology has oh, gone so far beyond right. what I ever thought it would do. Yeah, yeah you're I, right. I, yeah, I, it's I, so easy now. I right? text with my parents. I FaceTime with my parents. Right. No, I hear from them more now than right. I did when I was in college. So that, do they enjoy that? I mean, do they enjoy the technology in general, not just with yeah, you? But absolutely. does that has that liberated everybody a bit? Yeah, it's given been, everybody freedom. That's great. That's a great fantastic. thing to think think about. You know, so is was your goal always to uh, be a travel writer? I don't. 
I think I want to say yes, but I don't think that would be fair because I don't think I knew this job existed when I was a kid. Uh, I didn't know mm-hmm. anybody who was a journalist. No, I mean, I mean, when you moved to New York, when since you've been writing, like yeah, I think so. Since the assistant, like the assistant book, you must have been really angry after having, let's say, having a lot of responsibility at home and then being treated like assistants are treated. Is that what happened there? That's a really good way of pointing it out. I don't know if I ever would have thought of it that way. But yeah, I think for me, I grew up in a kind of community where going to college was still really important and where a college degree really meant something instead of in New York, where it's kind of the baseline thing you have to do just to get any job. So Mm -hmm. where I grew up, if you had a university degree, you were the boss. And if you Ah. didn't, you were the assistant. So it was really strange for me to come to New York and start as somebody's assistant. And I had thought for years but now i'm a big successful career lady only to find out Mm. that i actually was going to have to answer some dude's phone for a couple of years first right right and that was hard and that was hard for me to negotiate and i think where save the assistance came from it started as a blog and it was because i realized i didn't have the cultural capital to understand what a modern office was like i didn't know how to write a professional email Ah. i had never worked in a corporate environment before. I didn't know what to do when I got yelled at for shit that wasn't my fault. So you wound up getting angry. You didn't wind up feeling like you were not doing your job or failing or anything like that. I did feel like I was failing for a while. I think what really changed was I went and I took a different assistant job. It was the exact same work, but for a really great person. And Mm -hmm. for me, that's when it all changed. I realized, oh, I'm still quote unquote, paying my dues. I sort of hate that expression, but I'm still Mm -hmm. at the bottom of my career learning about journalism, learning about what I want to do. I'm working for somebody really accomplished, but I'm not miserable. And he treats me really well. Closer to the mic. Closer to the mic, Lilith. All right. How's that? Better. So yeah, I think that was the main difference is that I had the exact same on paper job and were, yet working for a person who right, I was who was inspiring, from. right? Yeah, and who was, really was the, a mentor. Were there male female issues? Were they both males and yeah, females? Yeah, both guys. Both guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, uh, well, that's yeah. So, um, when is that when you decided you want to be a travel writer? I think I realized that I liked being a journalist. I chosen the career that I wanted to have. And yet I was spending all of my time and money getting away from my journalism job to go travel. And it occurred to me at some point, why is that? Why am I not doing the same thing? Oh, I see. Oh, that's cool. And and this, if I could say yeah, something else. Yeah, I was just going to ask if you've known uh, if you've known Lilith through the transition, Christian. Well, yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I've seen her at different stops. And mm-hmm. one of the great things, again, about Facebook and social media stuff is that I've been able to see uh, Lilith come back and post a lot of these things and see the angle that she's taken on this stuff. I, I remember the first one that really... Uh, touched or the first one I can remember is I remember you went to Taiwan to the the little town that's like oh Joe Fen oh my god it's like uh, the spirited away town that town is awesome yeah from the uh, uh, was it Miyazaki Miyazaki. yeah the famous spirited away uh, animated Mm -hmm. film and it's based on that and I remember you went there and that was uh, your angle for crafting that whole that whole article and the the photos and other stuff it's like wow that's a really cool thing to think to do when you're at, because it's, it's at land's end of Taiwan, right? Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. at the extreme north, yes. I think it is. Mm-hmm. And and then just recently connecting that with other stuff. I remember the, the I, so Lily recently went to Cambodia, which I, mm-hmm. which I believe you had, did you have some preconceived notions, some I reservations did, yeah. about going to Phnom Penh? I did, yeah. I mean. Yeah, I was going to say you're pretty ballsy. Is she pretty ballsy? Or where's the fearless, absolutely. Where's the fearlessness come from? Oh, it's all an act. Oh, 
Is it? Yeah, I have crazy imposter syndrome, and I just have to talk myself out of it. I just have to go and do it. And as soon as I get somewhere, it's like, this is great. I love it. Why didn't I come here sooner? But I just have to make myself do it. So you have a lot of anxiety before you do things you want to you want to do them. You have a hunger to do them, but you're anxious about it. I mean, I'm still Jewish. So <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> this is true. And I think, I think you're pretty self-effacing about it, even in your writing. I think in your Cambodia, I think in the first couple of sentences, you said I had a notion about what this was going to be before I went there and I'm so glad that it it I didn't you know that it proved me think, wrong. I think that kind of transparency is important because travel possibly more than even other forms of journalism is dominated by wealthy white men who can afford to travel independently. Right. And so as a result, I mean they can go to places that not all of us can go to and they can feel safe in places that not all right. of us feel safe. Right. And I think it's really important to be straightforward about that kind of information. And as a single woman traveling alone, mm-hmm. there are certain places where I act differently or where I notice things differently. And other women will, too. I think it's really irresponsible not to mention that. Mm-hmm. So do you ever feel threatened? You must. Yeah, there have definitely been moments where like... um. I was walking around. I was staying at this hostel in Athens, and it mm-hmm. was 24 hours because I arrived at, like, 4.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. But it was 24 hours, and the train station was open, and it was 10 minutes walk away, so I just walked over. But it was a Sunday morning, so nobody was up and about, and this guy just started following me, wouldn't leave me alone, started talking to me in Greek, like, kept trying to touch me. And it was the longest 10-minute walk of my entire life, like, just getting to the front door of that place without him attacking me and, like, just trying to run for it. Right, right. Mm. But, but you... You persevered. So that there's a lot of satisfaction in that, right? A lot of strength, a lot of growth. I hope so. But I also yeah. don't want to make women who were less lucky than me feel like they did something wrong. Of course not. I don't think they I don't think they will. They shouldn't. We I, know this. <laughs> but it's good that you're saying it. Yeah, and I I just think that that's what happens when you bring diverse voices into right, these right. kinds of conversations. No, it's good that you're doing that. It's excellent. I'd, I'd have a question about that. So, like, in at Condé Nast, is is the makeup of of contributing editors or writers like you is is there a pretty is it is there a gender diversity there? Yeah, on the absolutely. And I feel like my boss in particular has been really great about promoting that. And then other stuff that you have to think about with travel too is: does the person speak the local language? Do they live there? Do they have some kind of personal connection? Why are they writing about this particular location? Because everybody thinks that they can just go on vacation and become a travel writer. Mm. They think, right. like, oh, I went to Hawaii. I want to try and monetize my vacation. I'm going to sell an article about it. But I'd much rather hear from somebody who lives there, who's been to everything in the area and can tell you which ones are good and which ones are bad. And so you run into a lot of, like, dilettantism, if yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're trying to report the real thing. More like the Lonely Planet Guide, sort of, but maybe more I would say the Condé Nast intellectual. Guide. Yeah, because Condé Nast is... Is a lot more, um, it's a very sophisticated, um, I mean, I think of it as like, what are the really interesting places to go? And it's not just about budget either. Right. Absolutely. I mean, we have a lot of latitude, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've covered mm-hmm. all kinds of places mm-hmm. that I would kill to go to. And some of mm-hmm. us get really jealous of each other. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I bet. So yeah, anyway, this is really consuming your life right now in a way that you're happy with, right? Absolutely. That's great. That's really great. So here, I'm going to throw this out as a self-proclaimed psychotherapist observation. Let's let's give this a shot, all right? Well, that's this is where the doctor part comes okay, in. Okay, right? so we want to, like, I want to get back to talking about your boyfriend since you're single. And like, uh, I can't, it's, there's no obvious reason why. And Christian can't explain it either. So, um, okay, so I'm going to say this. 
I think as um, perhaps as when you were growing up that you had a weird role in your family being kind of like sort a child, but also sort of an authority figure. Maybe. And maybe really self-sufficient in a way because you couldn't, your parents depended on you in ways that uh, they couldn't depend, that in ways that they really needed to, right? That uh, were pretty profound. Did you feel like that? I don't know. I don't, I think when you're a kid, however you grow up is just your life. And it's hard to think about it for, as an outsider, if that makes any sense. Right, right, right. But um, I think like what I guess I'm trying to articulate here is that. Um, this feeling of being like a kid that doesn't know anything. Like, did you, I don't think you had a lot of that. Oh, I did. It just way later, um, in college for sure. I just showed up one day and I thought, I think for a long time, I thought that culture was this thing that happened in other places and I wasn't invited and that I would have to move to New York or LA and and that was it. And now obviously these kids grow up in this world where they have the internet and everything happens right. on Snapchat. But right. I definitely had a rude awakening, you know, showing up my first day of college and then showing up in New York and realizing I'd never worked in an office before and suddenly now I had to and everybody knew so much more about the world than I did. Right. And the point the point I mean from my point what I'm my theory <laughs> Is so what I'm trying to, uh, yeah. So in other words, the way that you were brought up, you didn't question what what you were going to need to know or what they were going to tell you to do or how to fit in and all that. Like you did get to have to experience that, but I don't think you. I think that when you perhaps were growing up, you could take for granted that you knew what was going on. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, but I'm I'm just saying. Christian, does this make any sense to you? Yes, it does. Okay, and, you know, why I, don't you put it, why don't you say it? Okay, uh, yeah, I mean, like, as somebody who grew up much closer to home here in New York and Jersey City, I think I grew up in a little bit of a bubble as well, um, and that's, not as well, I don't want to, I don't want to put that onto the God lead, forbid. but, but no. for me, I felt like I grew up in a bubble in terms of, of cultures being, you know, one white kid in a neighborhood full of Puerto Rican kids. And the idea that I went to public school briefly and then I went to, to private school and the idea of like who, who I interacted with, who, who my friends were, informed, you know, how I socialized with people or how, you know, what girls I, I, I pursued and or if I did that at all. And then there's like, you know, random stuff like I got sent to boarding school when I was in a sophomore, an all boys boarding school. And if that doesn't fuck with your you know Head, with your no, with your romantic totally. development i don't know what oh does. my god Man. my dream was to go to boarding school oh really yeah because oh, i read like the little princess and all of those books and i was oh, dying because yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you like traveling you wanted the adventure well, being that's a, on your own here's the thing it's like it was weird that 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 idea of of speaking of a little princess for a second the idea of english boarding school it's so funny in, re in retrospect i've talked to other other males who went to english boarding schools in england and comparing the experiences Holy shit, am I glad I went to an American boarding school. <laughs> English ones sound really, really intense. Uh, but yeah, that was yeah. something something where I could say, like, by the time I hit college, the one the one thing that I think I had developmentally that was good is that living away from home was, was a right, good thing. Right, right. You're right. You're and right. And that helped me not feel homesick as much. So in, in Self-reliant. Exactly. And I, right. I, I made friends. Unafraid. And, and just the idea of, yeah. like... Just the, the the stuff that that in addition to like dating in that situation is the idea mm -hmm. of like joining organizations, developing new friends mm -hmm. from scratch. Essentially, those kind of things were like 
things that I pretty much also had to do from scratch because all of a sudden I was in the co-ed environment for the first time in four years. Oh, shit. That's that interesting. Was, that, that was huge. And that's that kind of stuff at that age. Oh, it's a girl. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of stuff, uh, like, follows you for your life, but it doesn't, I don't necessarily think it defines me. Right, right, right. Um, you know, like, right. I've lived a lot of life since then. But it's but. interesting, because both of you have had uh, similar or, or parallel ways of becoming independent children. Uh, Christian, you were sent to a boarding school. Right. And Lilith, you had to take on extra responsibility at home as an interpreter, right? Sure. So anyway, we only have 15 minutes left, so I'm just going to get down to it. So, Lilith, when was the last time you had a boyfriend? Oh, my God. Do we have to talk about this? Not if you don't want to, but yeah, of course. (laughs) Christian, do you know anything about this? Like, the last time she had a boyfriend? He's friends with my ex-boyfriend. Do you? To be be fair, though... They, uh, he was he helped me uh, at a very critical time in my professional life. So uh, they were both. Wh- what happened basically is I uh, I knew Lilith and her boyfriend at the time, and we've uh, I think after they broke up, I think the way Lilith put it is they are split. They're splitting time with me or something like it's almost like a oh. sure custody. Yeah, custody. Like, that's, that's like <laughs> when Phil dumps me. Like you'll see him sometimes, and I'll see you sometimes. Yeah. That makes sense. I so get it. One of the things is I respect the quality of, of people that, that Elite dates because yeah, I think they're, I no they're, doubt they're about pretty that. reasonable. Oh, that people. makes one of us. That makes <laughs> I don't think Lilith would put up with a lot of bullshit. I mean, regardless of, of what the final the right? final outcome is. No, 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 I don't think so. And I think but that I don't think she's a hard ass pool. though. I don't think that that's that's the thing. I <laughs> she's think... not judgmental, but she no. wouldn't be like like if the guy like a lot of chicks, you know, like they just like the guy and the guy does some fucked up things and they're like, Oh, it's all right. So uh my a good friend of mine, uh I feel like when you're in your 30s in Brooklyn, all of a sudden all the single people disappear. Like I asked people, Agreed. oh, can you introduce me to someone? Like after yeah. my ex and I split up, and they were like, oh, I don't I don't actually know anyone who's single. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So uh, I feel like every social situation I'm in now, I just assume that everybody is married until I find oh. out otherwise. And yeah, Christian is nodding because he knows. Yep. He knows no, I totally like. agree. Yeah. And so recently uh, I was at my friend's husband's birthday party and it was one of the rare social situations I've been in lately where, like, there were a ton of people I didn't know, which I also feel like happens less now. Mm, yeah. So there was maybe one single dude there, and my friend was kind of angling, like, oh, you should go talk to him. And I talked to him, and he had the personality of, of like, beige wallpaper. Mm. He seemed fine. But afterward, I overheard her and her husband talking, and her husband said, oh, I don't, I don't think he and Lilith would get along at all. I think Lilith would eat him. And I thought that was the nicest compliment I've ever gotten. <laughs> See, this is this is this is what I'm saying, and I'm saying this in the best way possible. I wonder if, um, yeah, you need a like a really tough guy. I th- not tough, but like a guy who's really like solid in himself, right? Right, Christian? I don't think. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with being picky. I, no, I think, and that's, no, that's no, no. Being that, picky is great. That's that's something I kind of deal with too and that's well you know unless you're really desperate well it's true no again i don't want to speak for everybody (laughs) kidding if you're really desperate then you can't be picky yeah no no but i i agree you don't because you you're both very busy people you want your time to be valuable your time is valuable you don't want to waste it with people and it's really hard and you both have a lot of friends in this line of work too like i love what i do but 
I mean, imagine going on a really good first date with someone and then saying, by the way, I'm leaving the country for a month. Like, can we pick this back up when I get back? That's a lot to ask of Mm -hmm. people, especially the older you get and the more people really want to dive into a relationship. Right. It's hard to stay in touch. It's hard to kind of keep that going, especially if something feels like it has momentum and then all of a sudden you're just gone. So how long... like, well, one of the things I want to do is just check in and make sure that you don't have a, like an, a big intimacy and obstacle problem. But I don't think you, I mean, I'm not saying you do, but or that you might even, you probably don't. Um, I will say my last relationship ended. This is not a secret. Uh, my last relationship ended because he changed his mind and decided that he wanted children after all. Oh. Uh, so, and that was really hard for me because he knew about that before we even started dating. He saw me on the Today Show talking about not wanting children. I don't think it was... <laughs> It was not a government secret at that point. Um, I mean, it came up on the second or third date we ever went on. He was really cool with it and felt the same way until he didn't. And and I think that was really tough because growing up, I always believed that all women wanted children and all men didn't. And that mm. it was something women talked men into wanting. And it was strange for me to be in the complete opposite of that situation. You know, uh, it's interesting because I went through something uh, similar being single all through my 30s and not wanting children. Um, it was just something I wasn't interested in, um, and I didn't assume that guys wanted them either because that was the game that everybody played, like right. that girls want the babies. But uh, I have about five boyfriends from that period that I look on back on, and they all have kids. It's really funny. I mean, it's interesting. But do you think that there's something, um, I don't know if society's changed that much, but like where... Uh, it's not cool for the guys. Are guys becoming more honest about wanting to say they have ch- to being able to say, yeah, I really want to have kids? Well, all right. I mean, when we're talking about guys. I mean, we yeah. we live in Brooklyn. We we have a very particular set of kind of like a social circle that I think is not necessarily representative of all of America. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true for sure. I think that. I would want children if I was a man because mm-hmm. I would love to be a dad. I would love to be a part-time yeah, once in a while. Uh, me too. I've said that as well. I would love I'd be to a get father a, in a heartbeat. Yeah, I'd love to get a cookie for doing mm-hmm. the bare minimum with my mm-hmm. children. Like, mm-hmm. sign me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's interesting. You know, it's kind of like the idea. The, the first thing I think about is the responsibility of it. But then again, that's the reason why I don't have a dog either. So, <laughs> <laughs> so my thinking, I think, is, is deep into it. But um, – the uh, but I totally agree with that. I think it's it's a unique social situation. Certainly, um, in the the Greenpoint, Williamsburg, Bushwick, yeah, it's not fair to corridor. generalize out of that, right? But it's 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 pervasive enough the mentality within within this borough that I think you can you can make a generalization to a certain degree about a certain age group. Uh, there has definitely I think been a a, a shift um, generationally. This mm-hmm. generation about the choice. Uh, on, on both sides, and mm-hmm. the idea that that even the mm-hmm. depth, the depth and the proclivity of the discussion about mm-hmm. um, reproductive rights and control, to the point where it's like people can can make the decision, say as a woman in their twenties, saying, "Okay, I, I want to be child free," but there's no there's no re- doesn't have to be a reason why. It's just right. like there's no like deeper fucked up caveat. It's just right. I don't I don't want to do this. And I, and I try to turn it around a lot on people sometimes. I think that when you do something that's considered not the norm socially, it's always fun to challenge people who do have the norm. So mm-hmm. when people really, really push at me and they're like, no, why don't you want to have mm-hmm. kids? Why, why, why? There must be some reason. 
I love to turn it back around on them and say, well, why do you want children? Hmm. Because sometimes the reasons for wanting children can be just as selfish as the reasons for not wanting them. Right. And unconscious. I think, yeah. yeah, the whole idea of not wanting children because it's it's selfish to not want them is just wrong. I think that's like just like not wrong or right. It's irrelevant. Yeah. You can have good reasons and bad reasons mm-hmm. on both sides. And I think it's, you know, I love to when a straight couple I know tells me that they're getting married, I always turn to the dude and ask if he's going to keep his name or not. <laughs> that's awesome. And, and it's this <laughs> really, love that. it's this really that's little aggressive. thing. That's aggressive. No, that's awesome. But they're always so blindsided and you're like, yeah, we live in a world where that's still it's a lot of you unconscious. think that you're like the most liberal Brooklyn, like progressive dude ever. And you just looked at me like I grew an extra head. <laughs> It's kind of, I, and that's an interesting approach too, because it's kind of like having your cake and eating, want to have your cake and eat it too, uh, in terms of your lifestyle and your culture. It's like we're putting on mm-hmm. this veneer of being very avant-garde artist types who don't give a shit, but at the same time, we're still weighed down. Okay, by the eight values. minutes. I got one more question because you brought the. I heard you use this term twice, and I want to ask about you about the imposter syndrome. Okay, so that seems to have be um, a hot button for you in some way, or is that something? For sure. That, so it's something can you I talk about, about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I don't know if I can say this for all women, but certainly for me, I spent, I still spend a lot of my life thinking that I don't deserve the things that I have. And it's, I think in some ways quite good for me because it always makes me push myself harder Mm -hmm. when I say, oh, I can't believe I got published in such and such publication. That's so amazing. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to do this for 10 years. Mm -hmm. I need to do it again so that they know I deserve it. And then it'll Mm -hmm. make me go back and work harder and pitch more stories and get my stuff out there. Mm -hmm. Because if I write for them twice... Maybe I'll believe, just like everyone else, that I deserve mm-hmm. this. And when you have a job, which everyone likes to tell you is their dream job, you start thinking, well, why do I have it? Why do I have it and not this other person who wants it? What What am I doing that makes me so special? And it makes you just question your abilities and question whether you deserve it and question your talents and, and mm-hmm. how you're accomplishing things. And so it just makes you kind of second guess yourself. Why Why do you think you second guess yourself? I mean, you've had so much success. Like, do you know where that does that come from your childhood or do you have any idea? Just do you think it's being a woman? What is I do it? think being a woman has a lot to do with it and not my parents, but I was raised, I mean, in the South, which is very mm-hmm. much a culture where a lot of the things that I wanted were not things that most women wanted. Uh. Uh, and, and, always having to push, well, how come you get to do it? There's a saying in the South about um, there's a pot of lobsters and you don't have to put a lid on them when you're cooking them because mm-hmm. if one tries to climb out, all the other ones will pull it back in. And I think when I would tell, <laughs> when I would awesome. tell people when I was growing up, you know, I think I want to be a writer when I grow up. You know, Maybe I'm going to move to New York and, and be a journalist. And there was always this assumption that if you wanted something great, it meant that what you had wasn't good enough and that in a way you were insulting them. Ah. And, and, and and people really took it pushback on themselves. Like, well, why oh. do you want to live in New York? North Carolina is great. Are you saying that you want to live somewhere else? Because we're oh, not that's good interesting. Enough. And it, it makes you always wonder, do I believe those things? So you came from a culture that doesn't want women to be ambitious. Is I that don't know it? if they want anyone to be ambitious interesting. in that way. Did, did your parents, like, what did they want you to do? I will give my parents a lot of credit in the sense that my mom told me from childhood that she wanted me to do whatever I wanted to do. I mm-hmm. think I think she felt like her own educational opportunities were not what they could have been because she wasn't at a deaf school. She didn't learn sign language until she was 18. She was sent mm-hmm. to a mainstream school. And she knows that she missed out on a lot. And it wasn't her fault that she missed it. Uh-huh. But I think she knew that I had the opportunity that she didn't. Right. And, and always encouraged me mm-hmm. to take it. That's really cool. That's really cool. Christian. Yes. So did you know that? Did you know that delete? Delete. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, 
Lilith had an imposter syndrome. Did you know that about her? No. No. No, I don't, I don't think I don't think I've ever, that's ever come across. You would never you would never guess that, right? No, I, I, she's she's very self assured when I've when I've talked to her. But I've, I I think in in a way that's something that's very appealing because it not to say that she's not human, but he definitely is a humanizing characteristic. And the fact yeah. that we all have self doubt. And especially when it comes to the professional side, um, that's something I can totally relate to. Oh God, yeah. Well, I mean, I get this feeling that uh, I think one of the one of your one of your charms, uh, per- personally, Lolite, is that um, you are really ambitious and you are really like um, you know you got the goods and you do what you got to do. You don't take anything for granted. But I think at the same time, you do have a vulnerability and a humility underneath all that strength all that there's i don't want to call it bluster but it's there's a power you you present in a very powerful strong way but i think there's something very real and vulnerable at the same time lurking behind it which makes it uh, inspiring and charming well, what do you think you. what do you think does that make sense yeah, to you I, can I, you she's uh, a very generous person especially with with the time that she has for her mm-hmm, friends um mm-hmm, she made it's mm-hmm. it's an interesting even if you uh, checked in on on Lalit's Twitter and social media. She she's very good about answering stuff and making time to check in with with a, you know a very wide variety of people and stuff yeah. when she can. We like when that. she's back home, which is we really like cool. That. In like addition that. to making time for her cat Brisket. Which yeah, that's I, important. Yes, yes. Brisket has a a Facebook page. She does, and okay. you know we need to if check we're talking that out. about me being so single um i have to date dudes who like cats that's really important (laughs) (laughs) how long have you been single uh i don't know has it more than five years no okay that's fine then not worried (laughs) about you okay well guess what with this we've had the most fun ever yeah we've had and we have two and a half minutes left so i want you guys to both talk about what's coming up and where we should go and like do a little promo promo let's do let's let christian go first because he's oh. involved he's the curator of humanity thanks that is true so i'm uh the brooklyn uh, uh events co-coordinator for nomadic press we're a literary nonprofit co-based out of oakland's in brooklyn and we do in addition to our small press live events uh readings and, and whatnot the next uh confirmed one that we have coming up is going to be on july 8th at the brooklyn art library that's going to be uh, Project Comics, uh, co-curated mm-hmm. b- with me and Jeremy Nguyen, who's Who the, we love. who's amazing. He's the in-house cartoonist at Bushwick Daily. Um, we're going to be projecting uh, comic book artists' work, and they uh, four of them are going to be on so site. So what date is it? That's going to be Friday, July 8th. Friday, at- July 8th, the day after the Bushwick, the uh, Radio Free Brooklyn benefit I'm throwing. So that's your Thursday and Friday. So come to both of them so we can all hang out and get to know each other really well. Yep. And how about you, Lilith? What have you got? What 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 the hell are you doing? Nothing. Obviously. I'm actually in town for a while, which is really exciting. Uh, mm-hmm. Sunday, I got back from a two week trip in Switzerland and France, which you will hopefully be reading more about soon. Condé Nast Traveler. Yes. Uh, awesome. So I'm at Condé. I work for Condé Nast Traveler, but you can also follow me. I occasionally freelance and do other stuff. Um, I'm at Lilith Marcus M A R C U S on Twitter and Lilith goes on Instagram. 
Yeah, so your so your Twitter account's pretty active, really. Oh God, it's like a drug. I can't stop. Ah, and um, and if I could just say that if anyone listening to this uh, should totally check out her coverage over on Continental Traveler for this recent Cuba trip. It's really really cool. Yeah, the first uh, cruise. Yeah, it was the first cruise from the United States to Cuba in more than fifty years. It that's, was incredible. That's so freaking amazing. Yeah, so it was on a, a company called Fathom, and you can take them right. And now. you were on a cruise with all those people. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Stuck on that boat. That scares me. (laughs) You know, it wasn't that bad, actually. I had never been on a cruise before, so I wasn't sure. I thought I was going to get really claustrophobic, but it ended up being cool. That's great. All right. So anyway, uh, it's been it's been. I'm. You know what? I'm. I'm learning how to get the show and bring it in on time, Whoa. exactly on time, and Hit it's really post. hard because I got like four seconds. So uh, thanks to you guys. You-